In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're there in Hebrews chapter number one. And of course, uh, several weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we started a verse-by-verse study through the book of uh, Hebrews. And uh, this is our third week in chapter number one. To be fair, uh, the first sermon uh, in chapter one, we didn't spend a lot of time in chapter one. We kind of went through the whole book of Hebrews and it was really more of an overview of the book of Hebrews. Uh, If you remember last week, uh, we were in chapter one and we looked at seven statements about the Son, uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, from Hebrews chapter 1. Tonight, uh, we're going to <coughs> see, and uh, in, in the subject we're going to deal with, and the title of the sermon is, Jesus is Better Than the Angels. And uh, this will be our, our last sermon in chapter 1. I don't know that we'll spend three weeks in every chapter in Hebrews. I don't think we will, uh, but we will spend as much time as is needed to deal with the different subjects and the things that are happening. And what we're going to, what we see in chapter 1 is that uh, Jesus, if you remember from the first sermon, we talked about the fact that a theme through the book of Hebrews is how Jesus is better than. He's better than the angels, better than Moses, better than uh, the old covenant, better than uh, many things that are highlighted. And here in chapter 1, we see that Jesus is better than the angels. And we're going to get into that. And there's really just uh, three uh, concepts or three statements that that we can learn from this portion of Scripture that we're going to look at. Uh, tonight, we'll try to do that as quickly as possible and, of course, make application as we go. Just to uh, give you kind of a, the context and to give you a running head start, this is the last time we'll be in Hebrews chapter 1, I promise. But let's just start at verse 1 just so you can uh, build the context in case you don't remember. In verse 1, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So remember that it's God who's speaking. He spake by the prophets, and hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. The whom there, or the him there, is Jesus. Him he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. That's Jesus, verse 3, who, of course, that's he, being the brightness of his glory, Jesus being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, Jesus, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We've dealt with all that last week. Look at verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. And I just want you to see that the context here is about Jesus, Jesus being made. And let me just answer this, and I think this should be uh, common sense, but I'll, I'll go ahead and, and say it just in case somebody's wondering. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. I, have, I have something in my throat. But uh, just in case somebody's wondering, when it says made there, that is not referring to creation. Uh, it's not saying that Jesus is made. I don't know why this happens when I'm preaching. Um, the made there is not referring to the fact that Jesus was created or was being made. The, the idea there is his position. We're going to see in chapter 2 that the position of Jesus changed. Of course, he was made lower than the angels. We're going to see in chapter 2 when he became human, when he became uh, God in the flesh. But after his resurrection, he was made uh, so much better than the angels. So I, I just want you to 
<clears throat> notice that, that the made there is not a reference to creation or that he was created, but it is a reference to the, his position was made so much better than the angels. Verse 4, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So if you're taking notes tonight, like I said, there's only three uh, uh, concepts or three statements that I'd like to give you, and maybe you can jot these down. And the first is this. Uh, that the Bible teaches, and, and we're going to be looking at this idea of Jesus and the angels and this relationship between Jesus and the angels, because there's a lot of false teaching about Jesus and the angels, and we're going to cover some of that tonight. But uh, I'll give you the first statement up front. The Bible teaches that angels are not equal to Jesus. Angels are not equal to Jesus. And that's what we see there in verse 4, being made so much better than the angels. So we see that Jesus is so much better than the angels. And we also see here in verse 4 that Jesus obtained a more excellent name than the angels. Look at the last part of verse 4 again. As he, Jesus, hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So the Bible is clear here in Hebrews 1 and verse 4 that Jesus is better. Jesus is, he was made positionally so much better than the angels. And he obtained a more excellent Name, uh, a more excellent name than they. Now, keep your place there in Hebrews. Obviously, that's our text for tonight. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 1. Uh, in the New Testament, if you go back, or if you start at the beginning, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to try to clear what's <coughs> in my throat. Ephesians 1. And I'd like you, when you get to Ephesians chapter 1, do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And we're actually going to come back to it at the end of the sermon, all right? So if you're wondering when are we going to be done, when we go back to Ephesians, you'll know that we're right at the end of the sermon. So keep your place there in Ephesians chapter 1 because we're going to come back to it at the end of the sermon. But I'd like you to look at verse number 20, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. The Bible says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand. I want you to notice that little phrase there, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. That's the same idea as what we read in Hebrews 1.3, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Look at verse 21, far above all. And I want you to notice these words, okay? Just make note of this. Uh, because we're talking about the fact that Jesus is better, right? He's better than the angels, so much better. Uh, he was made so much better than the angels, obtained a more excellent name than they. Look, look, look at these words, verse 21. Far above all principalities, or palati, excuse me, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world. Now, I want you to see, when it talks about principality, and power, and might, and dominion, the Bible says, not only in this world, referring to the natural world or the physical world, but also in that which is to come. The world which is to come or the world that is to come for us after death would be the spiritual world. And here we see a reference to the fact that he was made far above all principality and power and might and dominion, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. The idea there is that he was made so much better than the angels. And Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 follows the same outline as Hebrews 1, uh, which is another argument for why uh, Hebrews was probably written by the Apostle Paul, because it's the same argument being made here, that when Jesus was raised from the dead, and Hebrews were told after he had done uh, uh, finished the work of purging our sins, he was, uh, the Bible says here, and sat him at his own right hand. Thank you. 
uh, in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion. The idea is that after he died on the cross, was buried, resurrected from the dead, then he was set at the right hand of the Father, which is what we see in Hebrews 1.8. What I want you to notice is these words, principalities, power, might, dominion, and the fact that they are a reference to the spiritual world. There are principalities in this world, powers in this world, might in this world, but there's also principalities in the world which is to come. And he was made, verse 21, far above all. So we see that Jesus obtained a more excellent name than they. Keep your place here in Ephesians. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The first statement that's, gonna, that's made here by the writer of Hebrews is that uh, angels are not equal to Jesus, that Jesus is better than the angels, that he is made so much better than the angels, he obtained a more excellent name than they. And then look at uh, verse 5, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5, front to which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. We're going to come back to that verse in a second. Look at verse 6. And again, when he, and of course the he here is God the Father, bringeth in the first begotten into the world. The first begotten, of course, is Jesus. The Bible says, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. So God, the writer of Hebrews tells us, that when the first begotten, uh, when God, or when he bringeth, and of course the he is referring to God the Father, uh, in the first begotten into the world, that he, God the Father, said or saith, let all the angels of God worship him. So God made this statement, let all the angels of God worship Jesus when he was brought into this world when he was begotten into this world. And if you read the Christmas stories, you know that that's a theme of the Christmas stories and the birth of Christ, that all the angels were worshiping God. There was a heavenly host that were worshiping Jesus. And of course, Gabriel came and announced the birth of Christ uh, and, and, and all of these things we see that the angels were worshiping him. And the writer of Hebrews is using this as, as evidence to the fact that Jesus is better than the angels, not only because he sat on the right hand of the majesty on high, he was positioned and given a position that is so much better than the angels, and he obtained a more excellent name than they. But also, when he was born, God commanded and ordained that all the angels of God should worship him. And let all the angels of God worship him, referring to Jesus. So we see this first argument regarding Jesus and the angels. And the argument is this, that angels are not equal to Jesus. You're, you're there in Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Go, go to the book of Psalms, if you would. S- Psalm 2. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely fall in the book of Psalms, Psalm 2. And if you'd like, you can keep your place in Psalms as well, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. While you turn there, let me just make this application. The first point we see here is that angels are not equal to Jesus. Jesus was made positionally so much better than the angels, when he sat down at the right hand of the Father after he had purged our sins, after he had resurrected from the dead. He obtained a more excellent name than they, and at his birth, the angels, all of the angels of God were commanded to worship him. These are all uh, arguments for or evidence to the fact that Jesus is not equal to the angels or that the angels are not equal to Jesus, but Jesus is... uh, better than the angels. Now, you may think, well, what's the big deal and why do we need to understand this? But you need to understand that there are religions in this world today who teach uh, false doctrines like the fact 
that uh, Jesus is equal to the angels. One that uh, is very famous and you should uh, be aware of is the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is Michael the archangel. And they teach that Jesus is an angel. And I, I, I want to read just a little bit uh, to you uh, about this so you're aware of this. Uh, and I'm going to read this to you from the Jehovah's Witness website, jw.org. Uh, and it's there. These are their own words, you know, so you're getting it straight from the heretic's mouth. But here it says, there, there's, an, there's an, an article uh, called, Who is Michael the Archangel? And here's what they said, all right? I'm reading from their website. At times, individuals are known by more than one name. Likewise, the Bible indicates that Michael is another name for Jesus Christ. Before and after his life on earth, Michael is none other than Jesus Christ in his heavenly role. That's what they teach. They teach that Jesus is the archangel Michael. Here's uh, another, this wasn't an article, but it was like a question and answer thing they had. And the question is, is Jesus the archangel Michael? And here's what they said. Is Jesus the archangel Michael? Put simply, the answer is yes. Michael, the archangel, is Jesus in his pre-human existence after his resurrection and return to heaven, Jesus resumed his service as Michael, the chief angel. So what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach is that Jesus, that Michael, the archangel, uh, Jesus was Michael, the archangel before uh, his birth. And then after his ascension, he returned to that name and is Jesus, is Michael, the archangel. But their belief is that Jesus is an angel. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is teaching and fighting against and saying, look, Jesus is not equal to angels and angels are not equal to Jesus. Jesus was made so much better than the angels. He obtained a better, uh, 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 a more excellent name than they. When he sat down, no angel ever sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father, on, at the majesty on high, and all of the angels were commanded to worship him. So we see that the Bible teaches that angels are not equal to Jesus, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are teaching false doctrines and false teachings when they teach that Jesus is an angel, and specifically that he's Michael, the archangel. Uh, you're, you're there in Psalm 2. Keep your place right there. Go back to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Let me give you the second statement tonight. The first statement is this, that the Bible teaches that angels are not equal to Jesus. Angels are not equal to Jesus. Jesus is better than the angels. The second statement is this, that the Bible teaches, for those of you taking notes, the Bible teaches that angels are not the sons of God. Angels are not the sons of God. Look at, look at our passage here again, Hebrews 1, and look at verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time? Now, the writer of Hebrews is, is going to begin to quote a bunch of Old Testament passages. And he's asking these rhetorical questions. He puts a question mark at the end of the quote because he's asking a question. When did God ever say this to an angel? Now, the quote is from the Old Testament. But when you look at the Old Testament quote, there's no question mark at the end because it's a statement that is made about, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the writer of Hebrews is making the argument, if Jesus is equal to the angels, or if Jesus is like an angel, uh, 
or if the angels are better than we think they are, then when did God ever say these things to the angels? Verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he, and of course the he there is God the Father, said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The idea is this, and the question that's being asked is this, if you want to make the argument that angels are the sons of God, then the question is, when did God ever say to an angel, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now, I want you to notice this is a quote from Psalm 2. If you have your place there in Psalms, go to Psalm 2. And like I said, put a ribbon or something there in Psalms as well. I know you're in Ephesians. Keep a place in Psalms because we're going to come back to Psalms uh, throughout the sermon as well. Psalm 2, 7. Psalm 2 and verse 7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Of course, this is prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're learning about how Jesus is better than the angels. And here's the argument being made by the writer of Hebrews. He's saying, look, the Bible says in the Old Testament, God prophesied, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, speaking to Christ, this day have I begotten thee. That's what God said to Jesus. But the argument being made is this, unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And the answer to the question is this, that God never said that to an angel. God has never said to an angel that you are the son of God. Now notice there Hebrews 1, 5, look at the last part of verse 5. And again, you see that phrase, and again? Here we're going to see another quote. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And the question is, when he says, and again, the question is this, unto which of the angels said he, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? And unto which of the angels said he, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? Because God did say this, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn here. I'll just read this for you. You keep your place in Hebrews and Psalms. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14, the Bible says, I will, be, uh, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And that passage, if you're curious, 2 Samuel 7 14, or if you want to jot it down for your notes, it is the uh, covenant that God makes with David. And he is promising David that there will always be a king Uh, that as a descendant of David, and we know that that Davidic covenant is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is a descendant of David and he will reign at the millennial reign of Christ and he will sit on the throne of David. So the covenant made to David was actually about the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it included Solomon and all the different uh, descendants of David. But here specifically, when God is saying this, he's saying this to the descendant of David the son of David. Jesus is referred to as the son of David all throughout the Gospels. And this is what he said to the son of David, the coming future descendant of David, I will be his father and he shall be my son. That is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the writer of Hebrews, because if you remember, the book of Hebrews is written to help us be able to understand and correlate the Old Testament and the New Testament, and specifically to help uh, believers of a Hebrew heritage or Jewish believers in the first century to be able to understand what do we do with the Old Testament and the New Testament? How does this all work together? And the writer of Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament and explaining, look, 
Jesus was better than the angels because he obtained a better position. He obtained a more excellent name. He was made so much better than the angels. The angels were told to worship him. And then we're told that, the, that Jesus, that the angels are not the sons of God because God never said these things to an angel. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The question is, unto which of the angels said he, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? And the answer to that question is, to none. God never said that to any of the angels. Now, uh, you're, there in Jude, uh, you're there in Hebrews. Go to Jude, uh, excuse me, not Jude, 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. If you're there in Hebrews, you're going to go past James, past First and Second Peter, into the book of 1 John. Small book towards the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3. Here's the point. God never said to an angel, you are my son. However, God did say that. The prophecies we saw from Psalms and, and, and 2 Samuel were about the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible is very clear. There are people who are referred to as the sons of God. And it's not angels, it's believers. 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 1. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love... And this is, of course, John speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he says... What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we, believers, should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So I want you to notice that the Bible does refer to, obviously, saved people, believing people, believers. It refers to us as the sons of God. We are the sons of God or the daughters of God. We are the children of God. This is why in church world we uh, use these terms like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, because spiritually we are all uh, uh, spiritual siblings because we are the children of God. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Go to John chapter number 1. John, at the beginning of the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, same writer, who wrote 1 John, John chapter 1. And I want you to see this. Believers are the sons of God, along with Jesus. The Bible calls us the sons of God, and Jesus, of course, is the only begotten Son of God. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So Jesus was begotten of the Father. We are sons of God as well. Go to John 1 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says in John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. And the him is Jesus. As may, but as many as received him, referring to Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So according to the Bible, who are the sons of God? The sons of God are those that received him, that received Jesus, and that believed on his name. To them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So today people like to say like, oh, we're all children of God. We're all the sons of God. But that's not true. The Bible says, as many as received him, Amen. to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So here's what we're seeing from this passage in Hebrews. The first is that angels are not equal to Jesus. And uh, teaching that Jesus is an angel, and like the Jehovah's Witnesses like to teach, that Jesus is the archangel Michael, is blasphemous because Jesus was made so much better than the angels. 
according to Hebrews chapter number one. And the second thing that we learn is not only that the Bible teaches that angels are not equal to Jesus, but also that angels are not the sons of God. Jesus is the only one in the Old Testament that was prophesied that he would be called the Son of God. And of course, in the New Testament, we know that believers are also referred to as the sons of God because we are in Christ and we are adopted into the family and we become the sons of God. Let me give you another application. You go back to Hebrews 1, and here's another application. The first application had to do with the Jehovah's Witnesses teaching that uh, Jesus is Michael the archangel. Here's a second application for you or example as to why this is important. And it's the Mormons. The Mormons say that Jesus is the brother of Satan. They teach that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan, and Satan is an angel. And Mormons teach that Satan is an angel. They teach that Satan is a fallen angel. So when the Mormons teach that Satan is an angel, and they say that Jesus is the spirit brother of of Satan, then what they're teaching is that Jesus is an angel. So, of course, we can go back to point number one. Jesus is not equal. The angels are not equal to Jesus. Jesus is so much better than the angels. But let me read to you uh, some uh, excerpts here uh, from the Mormon, uh, from Mormon literature uh, to show you this belief. This is from a book entitled The Teachings of Spencer W. Kimball. And it is a, a, a book... Um, that has all the teachings. So uh, Spencer W. Kimball was the 12th president of the Mormon church. And what the presidents of the Mormon church, or whatever they call themselves, prophets, what they'll do is while they're in office, they'll have all these writings and they'll have all this teaching. And this is one of the presidents uh, that, that wrote this. And the reason I have to, I have to go to this is because if the modern day, if you go to like the, the website of, of, of the Mormons uh, today, um, you know, latterdaysaints.com or whatever, they teach these things, but they realize that people are exposing them for a lot of this stuff, so they, they hide it. And they, it's hard to really get them to just come out and say it. They'll say it, but they'll say it in a real complicated, roundabout way. But it, sometimes it's good to just go back to their prophets, because when these guys were writing back in the 70s or whatever, um, they're just saying, you know, they're just being very clear about what they teach. But this is what the Mormons believe even till today. So here's uh, an excerpt. This is from pages 32 and 33 of the book, The Teachings of Spencer W. Kimball. And again, this was the president of the Mormon church. Here's what he wrote. He said, long before you were born, a program was developed by your creators. Now, already right there, we're already not with the Mormons at all. Creators, plural. The principal personalities in this great drama were a father, not the father, but a father, because they believe in multiple gods and multiple universes, a father, Elohim, perfect in wisdom, judgment, and person, and two sons, Lucifer and Jehovah. So the Mormons teach that the father, or a father, Elohim, had two sons, Lucifer and Jehovah, and of course Jehovah is referring to Jesus, and they teach that Lucifer and Jesus were spirit brothers. Here's another excerpt uh, from the book. This is on page 34. He said this, In the wilderness of Judea, on the temple's pinnacle and on the high mountain, a momentous contest took place. And of course, he's referring to the temptation of Christ when Satan tempted Christ uh, in the wilderness. He said, A momentous contest took place between two brothers. 
Jehovah and Lucifer, sons of Elohim. Satan, also a son of God, had rebelled and had been cast out of heaven and not permitted an earthly body as had his brother Jehovah, much depended upon the outcome of this spectacular duel. So I want you to notice that they are saying that Jesus and Satan and Lucifer are brothers, and they call them both brothers. They call Satan an angel, and they, so therefore they believe that Jesus was an angel. And so they use all these terms interchangeably. They say that, that these are all angels, they say that these are all spirits, and they say that these, are all, that these are two spirit brothers. So again, I want you to notice here, the Bible is clear. Angels are not equal to Jesus. Angels are not the sons of God. So to call Lucifer a son of God, see, they, 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 they do both. They call Jesus an angel, and then they call Lucifer a son of God. And they, they equate the two, because according to them, angels are sons of God, which is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, that angels are not the sons of God, that the sons of God are not angels, because unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Unto which of the angels said he at any time, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So this is a false teaching. And again, I want you to notice here, because you might read Hebrews 1 and think, why do we even have to learn this, or why do we have to be taught about this? But this is a common thing you see with the cults, where they are trying to equate angels to Jesus or to sons of God, and, and then bring the sons of God to the same status as Jesus. And look, doesn't it make sense? Because who, who is, biblically speaking, who's getting the better deal of this heresy? Jesus or Satan? I mean, think about it. Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal, co-everything with God the Father. He's a second member of the Godhead. He's deity. He's God in the flesh. So to then say, well, no, he's an angel, is to bring him lower than the position that he has. But who's getting a raise here? Satan is. Because Satan was an angel. But now all of a sudden, well, he's the son of God. Well, he's still an angel, but Jesus is an angel too. So this shows you that it's not, you know, the Latter-day Saints is the Latter-day Satanist because it's a Satanic religion that wants to bring Jesus down to the level of Satan, or try to bring Satan up. Read Isaiah. Wasn't that what Satan was trying to do the whole time? Be like the Most High. Be like God. He wanted to make himself a God. Well, with the Latter-day Saints, he's done it. Because they teach that anybody can become a God. And they teach that Jesus was an angel, Jesus was a spirit, that he was the Son of God, but so was Satan, and so was a lot of other spirit babies that they're having up in all these universes or whatever. So look, these are things that we need to understand because you may meet a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, you may have a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness in your family, you may uh, meet one out soul winning, and these are things you need to understand, that the Bible teaches clearly that angels are not equal to Jesus. Jesus was made so much better than the angels, and he has obtained a more excellent name, and the angels were commanded to worship Jesus. And by the way, not just the good ones, the bad ones too. Read the New Testament. Every time Jesus comes across one of these demons, they're still in fear of him. They're still trembling at his feet. They're still worshiping him. 
So Jesus is better than the angels. And what we learn from the Bible is this, that the Bible teaches that angels are not equal to Jesus. The Bible teaches that angels are not the sons of God. And then there's a a third statement I'd like you to notice. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. You say, well, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, those are kind of far from us. And that's true, they are. But they're big cults with a lot of influence. And look, people get wrapped into these things, especially with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oftentimes, when we're out soul winning, we meet people that will say they're studying with the Witnesses. Because what the Jehovah's Witnesses will do is that they will offer these Bible studies. So obviously, we go out door to door, and we knock doors, and we, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get people saved. So we're asking the question, do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven? Could we show you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven? What the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing, they're going door to door, and honestly, what they're trying to do is sign people up for Bible studies. That's their main goal. They're not trying to get people to go to their Jehovah's Witness temple or whatever they call it, Kingdom Hall, because I don't, they don't want non-Jehovah's Witnesses there. So what they do is they sign up people for Bible studies and then Jehovah's Witnesses will go meet with someone for like 24 weeks or 36 weeks or something. And basically during that Bible study is when they indoctrinate them and they teach them all this heresy. They teach them that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. They teach them that hell doesn't exist. They teach them all this garbage. And then by the time they brainwash them, then they bring them in to uh, the, the, the kingdom hall and, and help them become full-fledged, full-fledged Jehovah's Witness. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to giving the gospel to, to, to people in cults, it's very difficult. And, and, and look, by and large, you're not just going to knock on someone's door who's in a cult. And, and just in a 20-minute presentation, get them saved. I mean, if, if you do that, that wasn't you. Someone had been already talking to that person for a long time. So, you know, you, you're probably not going to get some die-in-the-wood, will uh, Jehovah's Witness saved or Mormon saved at the door if you just meet them. Honestly, I believe that those are going to require more of a relationship and somebody in their life who can talk through these things and help them understand this. But you know who you can get saved is the person who's studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Because that person, they're just interested. They've not really just, they're not committed to that. So that's the person that you should probably spend some time with and teach them like, hey, look, they're teaching you some wrong things. And here's one thing that you need to be aware of that they teach is that te- Jesus is Michael the archangel. You, should, you need to go to Hebrews 1 and show them, no, Jesus was made so much better than the angels. And of course, if you talk to a Mormon, and if you talk to Mormon people, and, and this comes up, then you need to be able to teach them and show them that Jesus, that, that angels are not the sons of God. And God never called an angel a son of God. And Satan is not a son of God. Satan is an angel. He's a fallen angel and Jesus is the Son of God, and he's not an angel, all right? So the Bible teaches that angels are not equal to Jesus, and the Bible teaches that angels are not uh, the sons of God. Here's statement number three. The Bible teaches that angels are not made from flesh and blood. The Bible teaches that angels are not made from flesh and blood. Look, look at our passage again, Hebrews 1 and verse 6. And again, the, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, 
And let all the angels of God worship him, verse 7, and of the angels he saith. Because remember in, verse, in, in verses uh, 5 and 6, we saw quotes about Jesus, right? Verse 5, for unto which of the angels said he at any time. He's quoting verses about Jesus and saying, when did God ever say this to angels? So in verses 5 and 6, what we're seeing is the argument being made is, God never said this about angels. What did God not say about angels? Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Those are things that God never said to angels. Verse 6, and again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he said. So what did God say to angels? God's, the Bible is clear. God never said to angels, thou art my son. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. But what did God say to angels? Verse 6, here's what he said to angels. Let all the angels of God worship him. So he told the angels, you need to worship him, Jesus, because Jesus is better than the angels. Here's something else that God said to the angels. Verse 7, and of the angels he saith, and here's a quote from the Old Testament, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us, he's making this argument. In verse 5, he's saying, here's what he didn't say to the angels. He never said to the angels, unto the which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. And then the writer of Hebrews makes this other argument, which says, here's what God did say to the angels, or what he said about the angels, and here's what he said. He said, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, that might seem a little random to you as to why the writer of Hebrews is bringing that up, but I think the writer of Hebrews is bringing that up uh, because this, again, is something that is used in false doctrine about the angels. Go, go back to Psalms, if you would, Psalm 104. Psalm 104. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because Jesus, when Jesus, when the Son was begotten into the world, what happened? God became flesh. The incarnation of Christ is the theological term we have for it. That Christ, the Messiah, the second member of the Godhead, the Word, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the writer of Hebrews is making the point that God never said that. When, when did Jesus become, uh, when he was begotten into the world, is when God told the angels, let all the angels of God worship him. Now, the point that he's making is that God not only never told the angels, I'm your father, but he never made them flesh. There was never a time when they became flesh, when they became flesh like human beings, because here's all that God ever said about the angels, who maketh his angels, spirits, and his ministers, a flame of fire. That's a quote from Psalm 104. Look at verse 4. Psalm 104, verse 4, who maketh his angels spirits. Now let's just stop right there. Here's what I want you to see. According to the Bible, angels are what? They're spirits. They're spirits. What are, what are fallen angels? Evil spirits. Unclean spirits. That's what the Bible calls them. But what are they? They are spirits who maketh his angels spirits. And the word that's translated, the underlying Hebrew word that's translated spirits here, is translated elsewhere in the Bible as breath, wind, blast. 
The idea is, is where we get our English word uh, like, like nomadic or pneumatic, referring to like air. Spirit is always spoken in this idea of breath, wind, blast, this idea that it's not physical. Remember Jesus in John 3, when he talked about the Holy Spirit, he said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. He used the, word, the wind as an example of the Spirit. Or in Acts 2, when the Holy Ghost came upon the 120 in the lower room, they, they heard a mighty rushing wind. Wind is always associated with the Spirit. What's the idea there? Is that though you don't see anything physical, you can see the evidence of it, or you can see uh, what the wind results, or what the wind does. The idea is this, that the word spirit means that there is no physical flesh or body. There is a spirit body, but the spirit body is not physical or flesh. Who maketh his angels spirits? They are spirits, not flesh. His ministers a flame of fire. So here's what we can learn from the Bible. What are angels? Angels are spirits and they are servants. The word minister means servant. And they are spirits and servants. They are ministering spirits. And again, I want you to understand the context because it might seem kind of random. Why is the writer of Hebrews bringing this up? But he's bringing this in contrast to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your place there in Psalms. Go back to Hebrews 1. I just want you to see it. Verse 6, again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world. What are we talking about? The first advent, the incarnation of Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. God was manifest in the flesh when God became man and dwelt among us. And again, when He bringeth the first begotten into the world, when Jesus, when the second member of the Godhead became flesh, here's what God said. He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. Okay, writer of Hebrews, but what did He say about the angels? Well, here's what He said about the angels. And of the angels, He saith, who maketh His angels spirit. He's making the point that God was incarnate and angels are spirits. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not flesh and blood. They are ministering spirits. Psalm 104.4, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. Hebrews 1.7 is quoting Psalm 104.4. Skip down to Hebrews 1.13. Because we, we covered verses 8 through 12 last week, so I'm not going to cover that tonight. But look at verse 13, because verse 13 picks up with this idea of angels again. But to which of the angels said he at any time? Again, making the point. Comparing Jesus to the angels. To which of the angels said he at any time? Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And, and again, this is a quote from the Old Testament. If you kept your place in Psalm, Psalm 110, look at verse 1. Psalm 110 and verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord said unto my Lord. We actually saw this in, uh, in, in, in Hebrews 1 as, as well for a different reason, but look at, it, look at it again. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now again, when Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father, that's when he was made so much better than the angels. And the reason that point is being made is because we're going to see in Hebrews 2 that when Jesus became flesh, he was made a little lower than the angels. 
So after his resurrection and his ascension, he then took again his position of being made so much better than the angels. When did that happen? When Jesus sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. We saw that in Hebrews. We saw that in Ephesians. Here we see it again. And the point that's being made is this. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make that enemy as thy foot? So what is the point that's being made here? The point that's being made is this. When did God ever tell an angel, just sit down and relax? Never. He told Jesus, after Jesus had purged our sins, died on the cross, uh, resurrected from the dead, ascended unto uh, the Father on high, he told Jesus, sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. But he never told the angels, sons are not equal to Jesus. That covers the Jehovah's Witnesses. Angels are not the sons of God. That covers the Mormons. And angels are not equal to Jesus also covers uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Or, excuse me. Both of the points cover the Mormons and, Je- and the first point covers Jehovah's Witnesses. But here's something a little closer to home. Uh, uh, a fallacy or a false doctrine that's a little closer to home. This is taught by dispensationalists. And a lot of Baptists are dispensationalists. Now, Baptists are not the only dispensationalists. Dispensationalists are found in all uh, religions. But there's a, there's a lot. In fact, I'm, I might say most Baptists are dispensationalists. And this is one thing. And again, let me just say, say this. Not all dispensationalists believe this. But I would say a lot of dispensationalists believe what I'm about to show you right now. And it is this. That in Genesis 6, dispensationalists teach that... Well, let's just look at it. Genesis 6. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Look at verse uh, number three. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And here's what dispensationalists will teach. In fact, let me just read it to you from, from one of their websites. This is a website called dispensationalpublishing.com. This is a pro-dispensationalist website. They have an article entitled, Who Were the Sons of God in Genesis 6? And they give all these other arguments, and they refute them based off their weird doctrine. And then he gives the final view, which is the one he believes in. The final view to be examined is the view that the sons of God refer to fallen angels. Think about how crazy that is. Fallen angels. They're called evil spirits. They're called uh, you know, devils. But they're the sons of God. The final view to be examined is, that, is the view that the sons of God referred to fallen angels. In this view, a certain group from among the fallen angels abandoned the created natural order and cohabited with human women seeking to corrupt the human race. They succeeded to a great extent, so much so that God had to wipe mankind off the face of the earth. So here's what they... Because look, if you don't know about dispensationalists, something that dispensationalists, they're, they're really into sci-fi. They just love, they just want to turn the Bible into a sci-fi movie. And one thing, so they teach a lot of crazy stuff. But one thing they teach out of Genesis 6 
is that the sons of God, Genesis 6-2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that the sons of God are fallen angels, and the fallen angels went and married human women, and then they gave birth to children, and those children, because they were half-human, half-angels, that they were the giants, and that's where we get all these legends about Hercules and all these half-human, half-deity beasts and things, and, that that's, and, and, and they'll say that's why God had to destroy the earth with a Noahic flood. That's what they teach. Now look, that sounds like the, a, a real exciting script to a movie. But the thing is, it's not what the Bible teaches, and it's not, it goes against doctrine of the Word of God, and it's not based in reality at all. Now, based off what we have already know, that the Bible says angels are not the sons of God, we could just look at Genesis 6 and say, sons of God here is not referring to angels, because unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. God's never called or referred to as a, to an angel as a son of God. But who has God referred to as sons of God? Jesus and saved people. So look, if you just allow the Bible to define itself, compare spiritual with spiritual, when you realize that in the Bible, the sons of God are believers, then it's real clear who are the sons of God here. The same people that are sons of God in 1 John and, and in John chapter 1 and in the entire Bible, it's saved people. You say, well, I don't know. I mean, in Genesis 6. Well, here's what's interesting. In Genesis 4 and verse 26, the Bible says, And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. And look, remember, we learned this last uh, on Sunday. Nothing in the Bible is incidental, accidental, or coincidental. Why does the Bible say that Enos was born and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord? And obviously, it's connected to the fact that Enos was born. What, what did Enos do? He probably got a bunch of people saved. And so the Bible is just giving him credit here. When Enos came around, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That's Genesis 4. So by the time we get to Genesis 6, we have the sons of God. We have people that are identified as believers as the sons of God. Look, you can't just read the Bible. Because you can't get, you know, Cyclops' children were born to these fallen angels that uh, had physical relationships with, with women. You can't get that simply from the text. You need Darby's books and Schofield's commentary. You can't just get that from the Bible because the Bible doesn't say that at all. What does the Bible say? And, when, and it came to pass when men, human beings, began to multiply. That's what we're talking about. Men multiplying on the face of the earth and the daughters and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God. What are the sons of God all throughout the Bible? Believing Christians, people that are saved, people that call upon the name of the Lord. When the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they'll say, but there's a difference here between the sons of God and the daughters of men. What is it saying? It's just saying that a bunch of saved guys hooked up with a bunch of unsaved girls. They weren't the daughters of God. They were the daughters of men. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, now let's, let's, let's run across reference real quick. And I, I'll be, I got to be done here. But go to Matthew 22, if you would. Look at verse 30. 
They'll, they'll say they cohabited and they had this, whatever. But what does the passage say? The passage says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they took them wives. They took them wives. They married them. Matthew 22, verse 30. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus said about angels. For in the resurrection, they, he's talking about us in the resurrection. For in the resurrection, they, us, believers, neither marry nor are given in marriage. In the resurrection, we're not going to get married or be given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So, so, God, so Jesus is saying that in our glorified bodies, we're going to be like the angels in the sense that we're not going to marry or be given in marriage because angels do not marry and are not given in marriage. So the Bible tells us here that angels, Jesus is saying clearly, angels are not given in marriage. They do not marry and nor are given in, uh, in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But then we're supposed to believe in Genesis 6 that these sons of God are actually fallen angels and they got married. When the Bible says that God never calls an angel a son, and the Bible says that angels don't get married. And look, this is when you start realizing that these people are more loyal to their doctrine than they are the Word of God. When your doctrine's got so many problems, so many issues, and goes against what the Bible is teaching. So they say the sons of God, and they took them wives. And, and, and then they'll say, well, I mean... But what about the giants? Look at the passage again, Genesis 6.3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is... Look at the emphasis. I feel like God puts this in the Bible because he knew that people would say stupid things about it. He says, For that he also is flesh! Not spirit. Those are angels. We're talking about people that are flesh. Yet his days shall be in 120 years. Verse 4, There were giants in the earth in those days. And they'll say, But see... The, the fallen angels, they, they had children with the women, and there was giants, and that's why God had to destroy the earth. God had to destroy the earth because of the giants, he, because it was unnatural. Okay, a couple problems with that. Verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, remember, nothing in the Bible is incidental, accidental, or coincidental. And after that, after what? After there were giants in the earth in those days, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. So the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men after that there were giants in the earth in those days. So how is it that these fallen angels had babies with daughters of, 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 of men and then gave birth to giants when the Bible says there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of men came in unto the daughters of men uh, and they bare children to them. And then if God supposedly flooded the earth because of giants, why does it, in Genesis 6, he says over and over again that he's flooding the earth because every thought of man was evil continually and because the earth was full of violence? Why does he say that in the, in the story of Noah? He doesn't mention the giants. You know why? Because God didn't flood the earth because of giants. And if God supposedly flooded the earth because of giants then God is not good at what he does according to the dispensationalists because you know why? What we're going to learn about on Sunday, why the children of Israel did not want to enter the promised land. You know why? Because it was filled with giants. Remember, David killed a giant. No, no, God flooded all the giants. Well, he missed some. Look, there's giants alive today. So these are not 
fallen angels having giant cyclop babies. And, and look at what it says in the last part. Of, look at verse 4 again. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare the children to them, the same, uh, bare children to them, the same, the same there is referring to the children, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. See, these were like Hercules. and The word mighty men all throughout the Bible simply is talking about warriors. Which were mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. The word renown just means famous. You know, when I read this, you know what I read? I read that Seth got a bunch of guys saved, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And these guys got distracted with unsaved women. And they became all about their secular lives. And yeah, they produced really successful men, and men, mighty men, men of renown. But God said they failed spiritually, which is why the world became evil continually. Their thoughts were evil continually, and the world was filled with violence. And that's why God destroyed the earth with a flood. Go back to Ephesians. Remember I told you we are going to finish up in Ephesians? Let's look at this. Because here's the argument that the dispensationalists will make, Right? We'll take him to Matthew 22, 30. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And here's the argument that they'll make. They'll say, that's about the angels of God. That's about the good guys. The angels of God do not marry and are given in marriage. But in Genesis 6, we're talking about devils. You mean the guys that you're calling sons of God? Yeah, those guys. Those are the bad guys. Those are the fallen angels. But here's the thing. Remember, we already learned this, that angels are what? Spirits. A spirit cannot have a physical relation with a woman and produce a baby. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, is what the Bible says. And Jesus said, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You don't have a spirit have a baby with flesh. Those are two different things. Do you understand I'm quoting to you the Bible? The words of Christ. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. These are two different things. Angels are spirits. And we have a clear verse that says, angels don't marry. They're going to be like the angels of God in heaven. He says the angels of God in heaven because we're going to be in heaven. That's why he's saying that. But then people will say, no, no, no. He's saying that the angels in heaven don't marry. Really, that's the context. Is that what we're talking about? Look, that's not even intellectually honest. The context is about us in the resurrection, us in heaven. He says, we in heaven are going to be like the angels that are also in heaven, neither marry nor are given in marriage. They'll say, no, no, no. He's saying that only the angels in heaven don't marry, but the fallen angels do marry. Well, here's the thing. In order to marry and have a child, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You've got to be flesh. The question is this. Are fallen angels flesh? Well, we know this. In the New Testament, they don't have flesh. They possess flesh. Demon possession, they go into flesh. Why? Because they don't have flesh. But let me just put a nail in the coffin and just kill it. You know, just finally beat down this dead horse and turn it into glue. Ephesians 6, look at verse 12. Here's just a clear verse. Because remember Ephesians 1.20? Remember we saw in Ephesians 1.21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion 
and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. According to Ephesians 1.21, in the world to come, there are principalities and power and might and dominion. Look at Ephesians 6.12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So what are we talking about here? It's talking about the fact that we are engaged in a wrestling match. We are engaged in a battle. We are engaged in a war. But that war is not against flesh and blood. Well, who is it against? It's against, do these words sound familiar? Principalities. Same word that is used in Daniel to talk about the fallen angels and that, that are ruling the world today. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against, look at it, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now look, no one, no one, I don't know of anybody that would argue that Ephesians 6.12 is talking about the devil and demons. I mean, this is the quintessential verse. When we talk about spiritual war, okay, when we talk about spiritual warfare, what are we talking about? Fighting the devil, fighting his demons spiritually. This is the quintessential verse on that subject. Spirit, Ephesians 6, 12, lots of verses talk about it, but this is the verse. If you need a key verse for spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, 12, for wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So who are the principalities? Who are the powers? Who are the rulers of the darkness of this world? Who are the spiritual wickedness in high places? It's the devil and his angels. And what does God tell us about these fallen angels? He tells us one main thing. They're not flesh and blood. Because we're wrestling against the devil and his angels, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So explain to me how a spirit that's not flesh and blood had a baby in Genesis 6, when the Bible says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, meaning you need flesh on both sides, husband and wife, to produce a flesh baby, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. When the Bible calls the sons of God, we're supposed to believe that they're devils. And the Bible says that they're not given in marriage, but you're supposed to believe that they got married. And then we're supposed to believe they had babies, though they're not flesh. Look, you, when you get this far down the rabbit hole, and you're just like arguing against just so many clear passages, you know, you're in a cult. The Bible is clear. Go back to Hebrews 1. We'll finish up. What does the Bible teach? Angels are not equal to Jesus. What does the Bible teach? Angels are not the sons of God. What does the Bible teach? Angels are not flesh and blood. And just understanding those three things will help you not fall into these false beliefs that Jesus is an angel because angels are not equal to Jesus. Or that angels are the sons of God because angels are not the sons of God. Amen. Or that angels gave birth or have been given birth in the past because angels are not made of flesh and blood. Let's just look at the passage one more time. We'll, 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 we'll finish it. Hebrews 1, verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. Talking about Jesus. He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten 
the, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are, not they, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And the writer of Hebrews just wants us to walk away with this thought. Jesus is better than the angels. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the scriptures. Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand these things. We need to understand these doctrinal things because there are false doctrines. Even Baptist people believe in false doctrines that teach against these clear statements in the Bible. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand it. I pray you'd help us to learn it. And I pray you'd help us to be ready to defend what we believe and to make sure that we know what we believe and why we believe it. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song.